have your Bible, I will ask you, if you'll have it turn to Deuteronomy 27. Our reflection for today will be in verses 1 through 8, in the sermon that I have entitled, Living Stones Made to Worship. Living Stones Made to Worship. If you will, stand with me as we read these first eight verses, chapter 27, in the book of Deuteronomy. The Bible says this by the hand of Moses. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That is a land that is flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. When you have crossed over Jordan, you shall set up these stones, concerning which I command you today. On Mount Ebal, you shall plaster them with plaster, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. You shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings, and you shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Father, we do ask you that as we navigate through your word, that it will be plain to us today, that it will be simple, plain, and yet Father, it will be so deep that it will gravitate to our heart and mind and will grasp our attention. Father, that we will lean heavily on the Holy Spirit today to speak to us, God. Uh, Father, I just pray that as I handle this word today that you would certainly hide me behind the cross of Christ Jesus. And Father, as I am humbled, Lord, may Christ be exalted. He is our all in all. He is our strength. He is who fashions us to be living stones made to worship. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, sometimes I get to the end of myself where I have to call upon the Lord and really say, God, I, <clears throat> as a pastor, sometimes I really just am spinning my wheels sometimes and <laughs> get to the place, Lord, you've got to take it. You have to take it. Lord, it's yours. You do the work. You do the work. And Father, I just ask him continually, God, you take the work. You do the work. You grow the church. Growing the church doesn't, is not the responsibility of one man or one woman. It is the responsibility of the corporate body together to grow the body of Christ together. And so I began to think about this sermon today and how we are to be living stones. Back at the end of April, I preached a sermon from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this sermon was entitled, Remember Where You Come From. And in that challenge, it was to remember where God has brought you from. Do you remember where God brought you from and where you are today? Can you remember a time when you said yes to Christ? Can you remember a time when you bowed your heart and knee before the Lord and ask Christ to forgive you of your sin. You repented of your sin and you asked the Lord Jesus 
to be your Savior and your God. Can you remember that time? For Israel, it was from out of bondage of Egypt. And for you, it might be the same, bondage of sin and despair. I'll never forget the day. I'll never forget the day that Jesus transformed my life and saved me. It was the best way I can describe it is the burden and the heaviness of sin had been lifted, had been lifted. For Israel, it was this bondage. For you, it might be the same, the bondage of sin, despair, and sorrow. If Christ has lifted the burden of your sins, you can remember this beautiful truth in your life. You can pinpoint, maybe not the exact day, maybe not exact time, but you can think in your life, there was a season in my life or somewhere in my life where I, I know I trusted the Lord Jesus. I know that Christ is my Savior. It was for me, Ju uh, July 24th, 1996. I become a believer in the Lord Jesus and he made things new in my life. I also remember the first time I ever preached a sermon. And that was a scary event in and of itself. And I, I got your first sermon. My mama used to tell me, I got, your, I got one of your first sermons on tape. I'm like, well, you can keep it. Because I'm my own worst critic in that. It was at Christian Tabernacle in Jacksonville, North Carolina, that I preached my first sermon. And I don't know how anyone was able to hear a word that I said because my knees were knocking so hard together. It was in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And there are landmarks in your life and in my life that we have put in place that we must remember. That helps us to remember where God has brought us from and where we are now and where we want to be in our walk with the Lord Jesus. How many in here want to grow in their walk with Christ? How many want to grow in their faith? As we embark upon these last few chapters in Deuteronomy... I want you to keep a few things in mind. Some of this is a reminder, so you'll have seen some of this already. But there's three things that I want, number, just to chart out real quick. I'm not going to explain each and every one of these. But here's some things going into these last few chapters, from, verse, from chapter 27 all the way to the death of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So number one, Moses is preparing the people to enter into the promised land. He is preparing them how to be worshipers of the Lord God, uh, to be worshipers of Yahweh, and to be a representation to the nations around, around them. He's preparing them. Secondly, he is giving them reiterations of the commands, civil and ceremonial laws. He is giving them reiterations. In fact, Deuteronomy is a second giving of the law, a reminder, a reiteration of the law for a new generation. And then lastly, number three, he has constantly put before them these things, the past, so that they can remember. So they can remember. It was said by the Lord God, I have brought you out of Egypt by my mighty hand, by a strong and mighty hand, I have brought you out of Egypt, and the Lord will put this before them all the days of their existence. And there are moments in our past that we remember because we don't ever want to go back there. There are times in my life that I go and I remember because I don't ever want to dip my toe back into, into the old way. I don't want to go back to the old self just so I can fulfill a moment of anger in my life or lust or idolatry or sin. I don't want to go back there to live and, and to, and to, to uh, exist in the past. I want to look back there so I can move on in Jesus Christ and say, hey, I don't ever want to go back to the old man. I want to put on the new. 
like a coat, like a Jesus jacket. I want to put on Christ. I want to avoid going back to the way that I used to be. There's, a word, there's some words of a song that says this. It says, you look to the past, right? You take from it what you need. And then when you find it hard, you pray. You fall on both knees and pray. Look to the past, take from it what you need, and move on in Jesus' name. All right? And move on in Jesus' name. So here's the commands. Commands of the Lord in mind. We know the importance of the commands of God are intended to help the people flourish and prosper. As they love one another and love God, to flourish and prosper together. To live well as they worship God, and to live closely with one another. Now, over the past few years, it's been hard for the church community to live close with one another, hasn't it? Because of the constraints of the dreaded C word, we haven't been able to, to live closely. In fact, we were, we were at the beginning of this thing six feet apart, right? It was hard to live in community in that way. And we are just people who were made in the image and likeness of God to be relational people. We were made to be relational people, to have relationships one with another. And the commands for the Hebrew of these commands and these laws and to remember the laws is just as powerful in its scope to them as the words of the Lord Jesus are to us today when Jesus said, Go and make disciples. Just as powerful, just as powerful in scope. Go and make disciples. Moses is on Mount Ebal addressing the people, which is considered his third teaching, his third discourse through Deuteronomy. In fact, in verse 1, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, said, Keep the whole commandment that I command you this day. And they're about to put them on these stones, and we'll see here in just a moment. And here is Mount, uh, Mount Ebal. Here's a slide for that. I don't know if you can really see, but you can see where, it's been, where the pen has been dropped on Mount Ebal. And you'll, if you follow that trajectory down over to the west, they would have come down. Uh, they would have come from the north down to the south and to east crossing the Jordan. And once they cross the Jordan, the manna will stop and all that, and they'll be into the land of milk and honey a little bit east. So they're on this mountain, and Moses is... From these last few chapters, from chapter 27 through 30, we're entering into a continuance of laws, blessings, and cursings, ending with the death of Moses and an inauguration of Joshua. Joshua is going to pick up the mantle of Moses as deliverer, and he will continue where Moses would have left off at in the book of Joshua. So, as they are being reminded of the law of God, if they're being reminded of their history, Moses is asking the people, as I'm asking you this morning, to consider the commands of the Lord. Consider the commands of the Lord. In fact, we find in verse 2, so on the day when you cross over Jordan, that slide that so they cross over Jordan, as you cross over the river Jordan, you are to set up these large stones with plaster, and you will, you will set them with plaster. What's going to be on those? We'll unpack that in just a moment. So I want to frame the scene. They're about to cross over, all right? I want to paint the picture. So when I think of people who are artists, for me and my generation, it was looking on the PBS channel and seeing uh, Bob Ross. You know Bob Ross, paint the little happy tree here? 
uh, for us, it might be something like, uh, remember Tim Bertram who came to the church? Tim, Bur uh, he, uh, Tim Bertram had painted uh, a painting back in our fellowship hall, and I believe it's the one called Grace. It's like if you walk in, it's the one closest to the double doors on the way out. And if you remember how Tim began that picture, he began framing that painting by writing some words on it. He framed it by sin, death, Jesus, or certain words. And then he painted it out, and by the time he flipped it over, it was, a, um, it was an abstract picture of Jesus. And we were all like, whoa, how did he do that? So I want to frame, I want to frame what's going on here as they're about to march over into the promised land. And I believe that F.B. Meyer, theologian, helps paint this picture for us. He says, Mount Gezerim and Mount Ebal were two masses of limestone rock reaching one 2,700 feet and the other 2,000 feet above the sea level. Between them lay this beautiful valley of about 300 yards wide. At the foot and at the lower slopes of Gezerim stood the descendants of Rachel and Leah. And on those of Ebal, the descendants of Zilpah and Bilhah, together with Zebulun and Reuben, who had forfeited their rights of the firstborn. The priest and the Levites grouped beside... See, we forget that the Ark of the Covenant was traveling with them. The Ark of the Covenant in the valley, and they uttered the benedictions and the solemn denunciations of the law, each ending, eliciting the responsive, Amen. So every time there was a curse or or a act of obedience proclaimed in these two chapters, we'll see, there was pronounced an amen. So, so church, it's okay to say amen. It's not a say, I, I have that shirt, I, I, I trust you. I have that shirt that says, it's not a sin to say amen. Amen? Amen. So after each pronunciation of these curses, the congregation springs forth with an amen. That we agree. We agree with you, Moses. We agree with the word of God. Everything that Israel was commanded to do in their whole existence, their whole existence was underpinned with the covenant that the Lord gave them, particularly Abraham, that all families of the earth would be blessed because of you, also known as the coming of Messiah. In the Hebrew, this would be Mashiach, the Messiah, on the day when you cross over Jordan, there are a number of details that you must attend to. The purpose was to remind them, for them to remember. Anyone passing by would know, as they looked at these stones, that the Lord God had given them this land, and that you will worship Him and Him alone. Him and Him alone. Now, before we move on, these living stones, I would call them living stones, which are you and I. And the way that I would draw the comparison and the application here is, what are some indications in your life that we worship and that we live for Jesus? What would be indications in your life that people would know you're a follower of Christ without you having to wear a Christian t-shirt? Or carry a Bible around with you? What are some indications that you are a Christ follower? Would the world be able to look at you and say, yes, they follow Jesus. They point, you, you would point to Christ in the way that you live your life. All of our life should point people to Jesus. All of our life should be about the worship of Jesus. Theologian uh, Lyman Abbott said this. He said, all Christian worship is a witness of the resurrection of him who liveth 
forever and ever. Because he lives, because he lives, now abideth in every believer. Faith, hope, and charity. And these things must shine like the stones on the Jordan River. And they were indications of God's faithfulness. So must our lives be full of worship, faithfulness, hope, charity, and or love. And if we are representative of Christ, if Christ is living and abiding within us, then the world should be able to see those things. Faith, love, hope, charity. We find this in the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 3 it says, And you shall write these commands, the laws of this, the words of this law on these stones, when you cross over and you enter into the, to the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is a land that is flowing with, with milk and honey. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, He has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, which you looked at just a, just a while ago, and you shall plaster them with plaster. Okay? So you're going to write on them, and then you're going to overlay them with plaster. Many scholars speculate that these were what was written on these stones, as we are told what was written initially. We speculate in some way that what we know in the Bible is that the words of this law is written on these stones. And we are given that information in Scripture. We aren't given any other information other than those words, the words of this law. And so we must conclude that what is written on these stones is the commandments of the Lord, the Ten Commandments. Some would call that the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. We are given indication that this could be a combination of the commands and the cursings that are about to be pronounced in chapter 28. One of those indications would be when Joshua and company began to make their march towards Jericho and began to march into this promised land, Joshua chapter 8 and verse 34 that says, Then afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings according to all that was written in the book of the law. You shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster, the Bible tells us. This was a practice that Israel would have collected as they were coming out of Egypt. This was a practice that they picked up from them. These stones were to be unhewn, they were to be unpolished, but they were to be smeared over with paint or lime so that they could stand out. As passerbyers would come by, these stones were intended to be a memorial, and at the same time, these stones were supposed to stand out to everyone who came close to them. Stones like this have been found in Egypt, all the way close to Mount Sinai, holding engravings, and some of them 3,000 years old, painted over and plastered or in such a way where we can certainly indicate that this was during the time when the Egyptians would have ruled and reigned. Again, they were stones that would bear testimony and would stand out by all those who passed by. These stones would help achieve two goals in the history of the people of Israel. Number one, it would have been to help them to remember the worship of the one true God and to remember their rich history. Secondly, it would help the nations remember and then they be led to the worship of the one true God. And writing this down was important to remember. So here's why this is also important. Because if they ever came back to the place in Jordan, they would be able to remember. 
they ever came back, they would remember how the Lord brought them in. And for many, they, need, they might need to go back to the writings often. Can you see the rich application? That we as well need to go back to the writings often. We need to visit the writings often and be reminded of God's goodness, His love for us, and the trajectory of the church, what we must be doing as His people. What is the duty of the church? What is the purpose of the church? And so we must go back to Scripture often, His Word, and visit and go back there and visit the writings often. It really does amaze me today the amount of of sometimes what we might call the biblical illiteracy that exists in the world around us, and sometimes even in the, in the church. And God has given us such a special revelation through His Word that we can go back to it often, and yet it is so neglected. I mean, you can find a Bible on your phone. I can pull the Bible up while I'm traveling down the road. And I, in fact, I was listening in on, on First Kings. I was listening through First Kings. And you can pull it up, and you can hit play, and you can listen to it. You can read it online. You can read it. I, I got it on my Kindle. I got it here, a hard copy. I mean, there's, there's avenues all over the place to where we can pick up this special revelation, and yet it is so, so neglected in many of our lives. To consider the commands that are found in Scripture, we must go back to them often. And if I was to ask you this morning, it's not meant to embarrass anybody, I don't even want you to raise your hand. But I wonder if I was asking here, who could recite the Ten Commandments from number one all the way to number ten and find where they are in the Bible, how many would be able to raise their hand? I can tell you the commandments of, of God. And so we must go back often. As if they are stones that stand the test of time itself. See, the Lord promised to write the laws and His law upon the heart of all those who call Him Lord. For all those who have the indwelling Holy Spirit within them, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in His people. God begins to write His word upon the tables and the stones of our heart. Listen to this command, this promise, or this great promise concerning the sacrifice of, of Jesus ultimately, and then the proclamation that is made by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 10. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness for us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, declares the Lord. And then he says, I will put my laws on their heart. That's happening today, by the way. That's not just back then. I will put my laws in their heart and I will write on their mind. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Such a promise is given. Consider the commandments of the Lord. But you must know what they are. You must go and visit the brook often. Remember these commands. And I submit to you, when a, rightful, when a believer rightfully reflects upon the commands, when a believer who says, I love Jesus, I want to follow Christ, when you rightfully reflect upon the commands and the Word of God, it leads one to worship and to rejoice which is what we find in the latter chapters, the latter verses. And there you shall bind upon the altar your God, to the Lord your God, an altar of stone. You shall wield no iron tool on them, and you shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on, on it to the Lord. 
your God. Now, one of the premier events after the Lord does a great work in any part of history, you'll, you'll find it throughout all of Scripture. When God does a work, when God moves in a mighty way, He then moves His people to worship Him. And sometimes it shows up in a place that is consecrated to worship of the Lord. We see this when Noah plants his feet on dry ground after the flood in Genesis chapter 8. We see this in Exodus 24 verse 4. We find this later in Joshua chapter 8 and verse 30 through 31. The point is this, that in every event in our lives, every event in our lives, good or bad, let me say that again, good or bad, the worship of the Lord Jesus must take primacy. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, the sacrifice of praise, I bring the sacrifice of praise. Sometimes you don't feel like giving praise and adoration to God, but we press through anyway because He loves us. Sometimes you might not feel like getting up on a Sunday morning. You might want to sit home and, uh, in your pajamas. You might not want to move. You might want to get a big bowl of cereal and watch Charles Stanley on TV, but nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we must give up those leisures in life and give a sacrifice of praise and worship to God. So in all areas, in every event of our lives, not to sound legalistic because I'm not sounding legalistic, the point is this. The worship of the Lord Jesus takes primacy in every portion of our life, good or bad. In the end of verse 5 and into verse 6, something interesting is stating, stated here. It says, do not put any tool on those stones. Do not shape it. Do not cut it. In fact, in verse 7, and eight, we'll finish these verses together. You shall sacrifice peace offerings, and you shall eat there. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Now, these stones in their natural state are to simply be that. Stay in their natural state. A chisel or anything of something that would uh, deform it or shape it is, is, is forbidden at this point. In fact, a chisel at this point would indicate some type of outward influence or corruption. So here's this pile of stones that is laying here. So large, so tall, if you will, that it contains the law and commands of God. And, and it would be large enough to catch the eye of those that are traveling by. And this altar that is built from these stones have a progression that we find from the commands of God. Number one, as it is the underpinning of every word that we find in Scripture, is this. Number one, there is a calling out of sinfulness and sinful people and a call to repentance and a need for repentance. Secondly, it's peace offerings that are to be given in the form of a worshipful event in our lives. So look at verse 7 and 8, if you will, as I just read. Part of the offering belonged to God, which is a burnt offering on the altar. Another part of that offering is to the priest. It is offered to, the, to them. And then the rest is to the one who brought that peace offering to the altar itself. They were to write the laws upon these stones and to, re, to remember the nations so that the nations around them would also remember that this Israel trust in the one true God who brought them out of bondage and at one point in Israel's history the nations trembled under the name of Israel's God Yahweh. The Jewish historian, Jewish and Roman historian by the name of Flavius Josephus, he noted this 
of the stones and the altar. He says, when Moses was about to die, he ordered the blessing and the cursings to be written on the altar on both sides. If you follow this in a more modern uh, commentary, a group of commentaries called the Kumash, which is a Jewish commentary through the Torah, through the first five books of the Bible, it says this, these stones were to contain the Torah on them, or the law. They covered this with plaster to protect them so that anyone who wanted to see a copy of the law could come down and could copy it very easily. Regardless, this place reminds the people how far the Lord has brought them and the commands of the Lord and then to worship the Lord God. Now, the rest of chapter 27 and 28, as I mentioned, there are pronouncements of amens that happen. We see the six tribes of Israel standing on Mount Gezerim and the remaining six standing on Mount Ebal to bless the people and also to pronounce cursings on those who offend the law of God. The curses, if you will follow through verse, or chapter 27, we will see some of the curses on those who are idolaters, those who worship idols, those who have idols in their life. There is a pronouncement of curses on those who are disrespectful to their parents. Amen. Those who are coveters, who covet their neighbor's things. And then not only are they coveters, they are thieves of their neighbor's things. Those who pervert the truth. And may I say, that's the day we live in today, where people are perverting the truth of the Lord. Those who are sexually perverted. Liars and murderers, crooked and the rebel. All of these curses conclude with the assembly crescendoing with this amen at the each and every one of those. In chapter 28, there are 68 verses, and you might thank me now because I'm not going to exposit all 68 of those this morning. It continues with a blessing, mind you, and curses as well. All of these are pressed upon the stone. Blessings come upon the obedient. If you're obedient to the Lord your God, this is, what will, this is what you will see. If you're obedient, your lands will prosper. Your crops will prosper. The yield will be blessed. Your herds will flourish. Your enemies will be defeated. And you will prosper as you walk with the Lord. You will be the lender to nations and not the borrower. You will not be the slave to the lender. You yourself will be the lender and not the borrower to the nations if you remain close to the Lord. These are all blessings that are given to Israel at this time. And then there is another pronouncement of curses. For those obedient or for those that are disobedient this time, curses will be on your cities. Curse will be your fields. Curse will be your uh, your, your yield, you won't collect anything from the yield of the fields. They will suffer loss by pestilence or by locusts or insects. Pestilence will come upon you. Disease will inherit your land. Your enemies will defeat you and overtake you. Boils will come upon you. Prosperity will flee from you. And your children will be sold, sold to the goy or to the nation's Nations and foreigners will overtake you and you will be brought down low because you did not serve the Lord your God. All in chapter 28. 
all of chapter 28 is this reversal or an antithesis of a land that is flowing with milk and honey. If you're not chasing and pursuing the Lord your God, instead of a land flowing with milk and honey, you will be a people that are under the curse of the Lord. He will lift his sovereign hand and his people will suffer much loss. It's almost like thinking of it like this. God is not here saying, if you do this, I'm going to certainly bless you. I'm going to wave my magic wand over your land and you're going to have, your, your fruit is going to just spring up out of the ground. No, that's not what it, this is not the intent. And by the way, the Lord is not your own personal shaman. He is not your own personal witch doctor. He is not your own personal genie. Okay? We're not going to rub the lamp and genie going to pop, the Lord Jesus going to pop out and grant all of our wishes. That's not what we see here with the cursings. Here's the thinking behind this. It's like thinking of it like this. If you want to do it your own way, without the leadership and wisdom of God Almighty, you go ahead. But you'll do it your own way without my protection and without my provision. And sometimes, even in our life, and I'll walk with the Lord, even sometimes in our stupidity. Can I say stupidity? Is that a theological term? Even in our stupidity, let me say, let me phrase it like this. Even in my stupidity, sometimes God even protects and gives me provision in my own stupid decisions I make. And so he says, you want to go and do it your way? Go ahead. Go ahead. May it be a lesson to you. Your lands are going to suffer. You're not going to prosper with one another. Now, if you want to re read a real pick-me-up chapter in the Bible, jump on into Deuteronomy 28, and that will do your heart good. But then again, it is a pick-me-up chapter. Why? Because it helps us focus on two things. It helps us focus on these commands were in place to steer the, the people towards the promised land so that the nations will know Messiah. And that by knowing Messiah, we will know Messiah Jesus today. We find our rest and peace in him. All this is written on stones laying on the, back of the, on the banks of the Jordan. But we, we are more than just stones laying on the bank. We are living stones. We have a living testimony for the world to see in Christ Jesus. We're not stones laying on a bank. We are in the world and we are functioning in the world as believers of Jesus. Because the Lord has called us to be witnesses for him. Not, not static stones laying on a bank somewhere or sitting in a pew or wrapped up in our house. The, the world will ultimately uh, will reject the message of the gospel, and they will. But we are to be like these living stones anyway, regardless. Listen to these words, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Very familiar verses. It says, as you come to him, that is Jesus, who is the living stone, who is rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, Verse 5, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We, if we are to be like Jesus, who is the living stone, the living stone, the foundation, if you will, if we're to be like that, then we also are to be like these stones, being built upon the spiritual house, who is the Lord Jesus just as these stones would be unblemished, uncarved by any tool, so we are to remain unblemished by the influence of sin and corruption and worldliness. 
Listen, don't let the world carve into you what it wants. Let the Lord Jesus shape and mold you instead. The content of these stones was to be very crystal clear, very precise. And the same with you and I. Our testimony and our witness for Jesus should be evident for all people to see as living, a living testimony for all those to look on. People should be not surprised, they shouldn't be surprised to hear that you're a follower of Jesus. You know how many times I've heard people say, oh, well, there's, he, he, there, he's a, he says he's a Christian. And they're like, well, I didn't know they were a Christian. We ought to live our, our lives in such a way that people would not be surprised to hear that we are a follower of Christ. As Jesus, as our bedrock, as our foundation, we are called to be these living stones, the testimony, the witness to others around us that we serve a risen Savior. My prayer for you today is this. Here's my prayer. You, don't, I, you might not know how to pray. You may not know how to pray this. My prayer would be simply this, that the Lord would shape you and form you into a faithful and shining stone, a witness for him. That the Lord would shape you to be a living testimony for the goodness of Jesus and his salvation. Would you uh, pray with me in a time of towards invitation? Let's pray together.